Today is December 17th, 2013. It's 1.42 in the afternoon. And um, this is a message about I, I feel myself starting to sink. Um, some things have happened uh, recently that have caused me to put my eyes back on the circumstances and how dire and difficult things are. And I feel my spirit beginning to become <clears throat> discouraged. So I knew that I needed to come pray. Incidentally, I'm, I'm climbing the Mount Everest Drive right now. It's going to be a uphill, heavy breather here. But I, I, I want to remind myself that how easy it is to forget the promise of yesterday in the circumstances of today. That when Jesus promises that he'll deliver us or take care of us yesterday, if we do not continue to keep our eyes on him and his promises, circumstances from the enemy will quickly begin to overwhelm us. And... I hear myself saying the word persevere. I mean, Jesus said that the key to the Christian life in John 8, 15, Luke 8, 15 rather, is to hear the word, those with a good heart, hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a good crop. And I just, I hear myself saying persevere, persevere. I've, I have found myself the last couple of times, I'm getting really discouraged or feel myself being pulled under, find myself saying, Michael, don't quit. Keep going forward. Keep trusting God. Keep persevering. Do not give up. It's all, it's all about persevering. Last night I was listening to some of my old journal recordings from last year. I came across the entry where it was about 18, 15 days. It would have been on August 30th. So it's about 15 days before I received the miraculous delivery. And I was just rehashing all that I had been through, talking about how I had just been denied by the court three different ways. My parents are saying I'm going to go to jail. My parents' friends are all thinking I'm an idiot because I'm not using my, quote, brain. Everything was against me. Everybody was had abandoned me. I was all alone, and I was just clinging in faith to God's promise to deliver me. And he had showed me some numbers and been encouraging me, and then totally unbeknownst to me, I mean, I had no idea what the final result would be that God would deliver me in such an unbelievable, miraculous way. It's incredible that I held on for two and a half years to do something that's impossible. A human being can't do that. Only only the Spirit of Christ in me allowed me to do that. And today now, last night, I think my, my mom poked her head in my door and said, Michael, is the reason why you don't want help going to get your kids is because you're afraid you're going to go to jail when you get down there? I said, no, mom. And she still just doesn't get it. Nobody gets gets it if you've not walked in faith. And I still have that part of me that doesn't get it. So I understand and I have compassion. This morning, she had asked me again, you know, have you, have you given any more thought? It's Tuesday. It's Have you let the kids know that you're not going to make it? Always trying to put fear and always trying to control circumstances and get me to take action, to engage in, in, with her in a conversation. And this is Satan constantly trying to put my focus on the circumstances. I just heard an awesome message that I heard a while ago called A Fresh Vision of Jesus by Jensen Franklin, and I listened to it on podcast on the way up the mountain, and it was so incredible. He told the story again about Peter um, being asked to get out of the boat and how he was doing fine halfway. He takes his eyes off and puts his eyes on his circumstances, and he begins to sink. And he said that the enemy's job is to do whatever he can to get you to put your eyes on the circumstances so that you sink. And what you need is a fresh vision of Jesus. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. This is work. I think what I'm saying now is probably one of the more important things in this journal entry. And that is being reminded, 1122 right here on this mailbox, have faith in God, Jesus answered. And 1101 on a garbage can right next to it. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's no surprise, I do come by these mailboxes often, but I don't just look at numbers. It just looked right at me when I walked by it. So that's encouraging but the thing is is that we the work is to keep persevering keep going back to God's word keep praying keep believing and I think a lot of people may be confused about well Mike how do I know you know if what I'm believing for is really of God and is is really going to happen or if I've if I'm holding on to a pipe dream here and I'm going to get my head crushed well I think in the beginning that's a question I could uh, say often I found myself 
being the one making promises for God. In other words, I got ahead and I began to put faith in faith instead of faith in God. I began to try to use faith to make things happen rather than allow faith to move me where God wanted me to be moved so that God could make things happen. Huge, huge difference. And so now I'm in a a season where I've learned much more to wait upon the Lord and I find myself, probably because of my disposition, being held back more often than I am to be pushed forward. God knows I'll push forward. God knows I'll do anything. I'm 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 a guy who typically makes things happen, takes charge, and so one of the lessons he's had to spend so much time teaching me is to let all that's in me wait patiently and quietly before the Lord. So the thing that I know is is that if God asks you to do something, it will be clear and it will almost always require a good amount of faith. Now in the beginning, it doesn't require as much faith as it does as you get further and further down the road. And I'm sure that even what I'm experiencing now is junior level faith, hopefully compared to what God will be asking me to do you know, five years from now. Michael Commentary. How exciting it is, and to the praise of God, to hear recordings like this, where I'm surmising and believing in faith that God is going to add more weight to this bar of faith in the future. And I mentioned, you know, hopefully five years from now, I'll be lifting a lot more faith weight than I am now. You see, the man who's making this recording has no idea that God is going to challenge him for a season of homelessness, and that's going to require a whole nother level of faith. But God has plans for even greater tests of my faith. Think of my marriage to Persis and the journeys back and forth to India that are going to require tremendous amounts of faith. Think of the impossible faith that God is going to challenge me in to believe him for this tiny house that I'm sitting in right now making this recording. The faith that God is going to require that I have in order to see my son who's been sitting right beside me this morning working in this very tiny house. It's interesting to make a note of the fact that the faith that I'm exhibiting in these recordings is primarily the faith needed for God to get me out of things. I want you to notice that. It's the faith to get me out of prison, out of difficulty, out of the desert, out of the wilderness, out of bondage to difficult circumstances. That's where it starts. The faith to get out, to get released. You have to come out of Egypt first. The faith for God to then get you through and out of the wilderness. And then you're going to see a transition. How beautiful is this? So God delivers me out of my sin, my bondage to that horrible relationship being yoked to a person who was dead. God gets me out. I have the faith for God to get me out. Then God requires I have the faith for him to deliver me from that enemy who attempts to oppress me. So I walk through that journey. You're hearing me walk through that journey now. God gets me out and delivers it. Now I'm asking and having to wait for God to deliver me out of the prison of difficult, confining circumstances. My mother and stepfather riding over my head, burdens being placed on my back, that Psalm 66, 10 through 12 journey. And all these things I'm asking God by faith to get me out of. Now watch. Then comes the promised land experience. The promises. See, getting out of bondage to Egypt and getting through the wilderness is not the promised land. The promised land is when God shows you, I have these things for you, these good things. They're out here. They're over there. And you cannot have the faith to receive the things in the promised land without the faith that God is strengthening me with in the wilderness here. I would never have had the faith necessary for the promised land that I'm now enjoying. So, for example, my prayers now are not, God, get me out of my parents' house. God, get me my driver's license. You know, God, get me enough money to do this. Oh, God, help me to go see my kids. Oh, God, help me get this enemy off my back. God, help me get a job. God, help me get a car. See, I'm needing so much deliverance out of so many things, all of which require faith, right? And God did all these things. Then he puts me in the wilderness and I have to maintain faith, go through these humble daily grind kind of groundhog day experiences over and over again, eating the same bread, hearing the same words, wearing the same shoes, wearing the same cloak, eating the same birds, all this kind of stuff. Seeing the same tumbleweeds go back and forth every single day, the same scenery, it never changes. It all requires faith, long-term suffering, patience, right? Then comes the promised land. God says, listen, if you'll endure all this and allow me to strengthen your faith and you demonstrate 
that you'll obey me. I have promises for you. And then God was going to give me these promises. What an amazing picture to see. You have the faith to suffer, uh, to get out of the bondage through the wilderness. And then that builds you up for the faith that I'm referencing here that I'll need years from now to get me into these things. See, I could have never believed God for an India for a Persis. I could have never believed God for this ministry to have had the impact it had. I could have never believed God for being able to live seven years, no job, no salary, no savings account, no income, nothing. God was having to teach me and develop that strong faith in him so that I could begin to believe him for these promised land experiences. You cannot have a promised land experience without demonstrating strong, enduring faith in the wilderness and in your Egypt, wherever it is you're at. And then God will say, I have these things for you by faith, and you'll believe him. And I mean, it's so exciting for me to look back. Like this tiny house was without a doubt one of the biggest challenges to my faith. One of the biggest things God ever asked me to believe him for. You're talking about $70,000 worth. Where was that going to come from? You're talking about the knowledge to build it. Where was that going to come from? When you've never had any kind of an income like that while you're serving the Lord. How could you ever expect unless God told me to do it, it would have never come to pass. And you heard in the false God challenge, one of the amazing examples of how God was going to provide for me through this house, for this house, in a way I never could have imagined by having me do video production for the builder who was going to build my tiny house shell. See, all of this was done by faith, being willing to take risks, but you can't put promised land faith ahead of Egypt faith. You have to have the faith for God to get you out of bondage to sin first. Then you have to have enduring faith, monotonous faith to get through, if you will, the monotony of the wilderness experience that we all must have, that refining experience, that testing period where God learns in difficult circumstances if you'll obey him or not. And see, God always has blessings for us on the other side of that. My goodness, how different my life is. This side of the wilderness, it still has pain, still has suffering, still has satanic attacks, still has faith. I'm still living by faith. But now it's about God giving me faith and me holding strongly in my faith for God to get me into things into more sanctification, into more holiness, into more impact for the kingdom of God, into more whatever he has of my life. You know, again, tiny house, Persis, India, Tyler, the whole situation there, you know, getting me, you follow me? What a wonderful picture. This is encouragement. This guy in this recording has no idea the blessings that are going to come to him in faith. He has no idea that one day God's going to bless him with his own house and he's going to build most of it with his own two hands. He has no idea what God is going to do in response to his faith. But because he's persevering and because he's going through through blood, sweat, and tears, and because he's persevering through all that Satan's bringing at him, God has some good things for this guy coming. God has a prayer field for this guy next to his tiny house in a glorious little place for him to live that he can't even believe as a place of rest. Like, okay, you were in the wilderness long enough. This is what I have for you. And God gives this to me. And now I'm out here thanking him every single day. God, thank you for this amazing place to pray. Thank you for this. You see the guy in the Trusting God in the Wilderness series, he has no idea the blessings that are in store for him. He's walking by faith, not by sight. That's why it's so incredible to go back. You see, if I could talk to that guy now, I could say, brother, you better persevere because you have no idea the blessings. You have no idea what God is going to do in your heart, how he's going to change you to be more like Christ, how he's going to increase your faith, how he's going to help you take up your cross successfully, putting self to death over and over again, how he's going to give you the seven things that Jesus Christ promised fully in your heart to those who will follow him, how he's going to bring your, your his firstborn son back into his life, how he's going to give you a wonderful, godly, amazing adventure of faith in your marriage to your wife, an amazing trip to India. Oh, there's going to have some difficulties, but he's going to bless you with these good things. Again, all designed to bring out more of the character, the long suffering, the patience and the meekness of Christ in you. He has a home for you. You're not going to have to be homeless. You see the guy in this recording is going to be homeless. We're just a few recordings away in 2014. There's going to be a homeless experience for this guy. He's going to end up homeless. He doesn't know it now. He doesn't realize the suffering is going to get worse. 
but he also doesn't realize the blessings are going to get bigger and that soon the faith will be focused on what God wants to get him into rather than what he wants God to get him out of. Oh, how I pray you hear this and you understand this. Your faith has to first be effective in helping you get out of situations that you're in and then eventually God can get you into his blessings and his promised land. End of commentary. And I'm sure that even what I'm experiencing now is junior level faith, hopefully compared to what God will be asking me to do you know, five years from now, you know, that he will continue to grow me up and I will continue to lift heavier and heavier faith weights. But I think if you just really humble yourself and ask the Lord, Father, is this of you? He will give you a sign. He has done this so faithfully with me to confirm in my heart through peace and to confirm through his word and through devotions and through circumstances, through numbers, what he wants me to do. He's even used people to, you know, be a part of a quote coincidental circumstance. So I have a high level of confidence in what God has said. And then comes the faith to endure until what God has said will come true, comes true. That is, to me, one of the more difficult parts is, is the waiting. And that's where you find out if you really have true faith or how strong your faith is. Do you, do you quit? Do you put your eyes on the circumstances and say, well, I guess God's not going to come through for me. I bet that a lot of people that happens to where they, they just quit on God. They don't have a strong enough faith. I mean, that brings me back to kind of my final point, and I'll wrap this message up, is that is believing God, even when you know that he's asked you to do something, can be extremely, extremely difficult and hard. And it's not even that it's a real... Um, hard thing to do like intense it's more of like a marathon perseverance it's not like a sprint race it's a marathon race and that requires a long long term perseverance and like this afternoon I mean for the last couple of weeks I've had just a, a very very strong level of faith really strong faith filled up with joy and peace and then of course Satan came in and hit me with a couple of counter punches through my parents saying that they think I have a mental illness of some kind and that that's the explanation for my optimism, which is really just my faith in God. And then the uh, the other situation is that I have sank uh, a little bit today. I felt myself starting to sink. And it is uh, very difficult to keep going. And the only way I can do it is through prayer. If I was not able to do these prayer walks and constantly keep myself encouraged and refreshed I could never do this I feel myself starting to sink so right now I'm going to shut the recorder off and I'm going to totally focus on the Lord and I'm going to remind myself of all the promises that he's already told me all the 1101s the 1122s instead of looking on the the circumstances in fact I, I just received an email from my ex-wife not even 30 minutes ago that's another thing that's kind of got me down as she said that you know she's filed a a complaint with the Department of the State or what have you and that my license is probably going to be suspended and of course all those fears of things that could happen and you know are you coming to get the kids and da 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 and right now I, I don't even know if I can even go get my own children for Christmas that's that's a that's a really ugly circumstance but the fact is is that it has not happened yet and so that's a that's me worrying about something that may never happen and in fact it seems to be contrary to the words that God is telling me so will I continue to trust in Him, or will I now say, oh, I guess I misheard? That is what it always comes down to, is persevere. And I just looked down at 1122. It doesn't get any more clear than that. Here I am talking about it. It doesn't get any more clear than that. I looked down at 11, 11 minutes and 22 seconds, which is, have faith in God, Jesus answered. See, that little thing right there is how, by me praying and asking for God for grace, he strengthens me. This is a, this is one of those ways he does it. And so that oh that blesses me. That blesses me. That's been happening a lot. I mean, isn't it interesting that I called out the 1122 mailbox at the top? Yesterday, we had a um a sermon playing in Chris's car all about faith and he says some of you have got to get your faith back in God. The message ends at 1101. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then 
Um, a few minutes later, one of us, he was clicking a message. He got a phone call, and I looked at his phone, and, and it said 1122. I said, is it 1122? He said, yeah. And so that's, uh, I have faith in God again. So here I am. I persist with God's help. I also just want to add this to the starting to sink message that I just recorded that someone might ask her, you know, what, what, what's the, what are the consequences, Mike, if you don't believe, if you fall out of trusting God right now and, and you, you shrink back from faith, like what would that look like? What would be the consequences? And to me, if I decide right now not to trust what God's telling me, I saw 512 twice yesterday after just telling the story about 1 Peter 5.12, which was God showing me, this is my true grace, stand fast in it, meaning just stand still and trust me. So everything in me right now, because of how ugly the circumstances are, you know, I could potentially um, end up in jail on, a, on, a, on the worst side for not paying my child support because I haven't been able to, because God keeps telling me to wait. Um, the other thing that could happen is... Um, I might not be able to see my children for, 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 the, for the Christmas holiday. And that would crush me and crush them. And it's, th th that could be a, a, a terrible, terrible consequence. Although short term, it still is terrible. And then um, just, you know, all kinds of other things that have to do with not having any freedom, not ability to do anything without any money. But... Um, the, the, the thing that could happen if I do not remain in faith would be for me to take matters into my own hands and try to borrow some money. I've had some people offer to lend me some money. I know there are other people that I could ask for, for money. I could certainly cash the $2,500 in checks that my parents gave me a long time ago or have them rewrite them. Um, I could cave in and take a couple of these, you know, video jobs that have been offered to me. So there are several things that... Um, I could do to take matters into my own hands. I could ask my parents to drive down and pick up the children um, instead of it having to be me. So there's all those kind of things, and those would be the consequences. Now, they may not sound bad to, to most people, but to me, if I were to do something like that, then that means I'm completely disobeying God's Word. And not only that, but I'm, I'm not trusting in Him. I've lost faith in Him, and I'm saying that I must rescue myself. And the Bible says that the person who depends on themselves is cursed. The man who depends on man or, or his flesh is cursed. And I don't want to be cursed. I want to be blessed, trusting in the Lord. So that's what's at stake. If I take the easy road out and try to save myself, then I disobey God. And I just can't do that. Nothing in me will let me do that. I would rather face very ugly, difficult consequences knowing I was being obedient to the Lord then try to avoid difficult circumstances and take matters into my own hand and fall into distrust with the Lord. I just wanted to make another quick recording, and it's, I look down and it's 2.02. The recording I was going to make is about <clears throat> how hard it is to persevere. I literally was just thinking, man, it is just so much easier to quit. And I said, Father, this, this whole faith thing is just so mysterious and so weird. You know, I mean... You're, in believe, you're believing for something that's invisible. You have no, you know, circumstantial uh, evidence at all whatsoever to, um, you know, suggest that you should keep believing for this thing. Whatever it is God's asking you to believe for. I mean, and that's just, I was just recognizing how, how difficult it is, how hard it is to have faith in God. It is not easy. It is not easy. I mean... It is definitely one of the least wimpy things you could do. I mean, people think that Christianity is for wimps. Well, maybe religion is, but not Christianity, not, not, not being a true follower of Christ. Man. And I look down, it's 202, which is Revelation 202, which Jesus says, I know your hard work and your good deeds, and I see your perseverance, and that you've not grown weary for my name. He also says that, you know, I see that you cannot tolerate wicked men and you've, wicked men and you've tasted, you've tested the, the apostles and seen that they're, they're false and, uh, but that you have not grown weary for my name. I find that interesting. That's just another encouraging thing uh, to hear from the Lord. Last night I was on the phone with the kids and they all, uh, I say all of them by, but I remember, um, Kaylee, Nathan, I didn't get to talk to Chelsea, Kaylee, Nathan, and Tyler all mentioned um, the funeral that they went to. Apparently, they went to Isaac Hunter's funeral. And Kaylee, bless her heart, she was saying, Daddy, 
he sinned, but he went to heaven. And she kept saying it over, Daddy, he sinned, but he went to heaven. And I said, Honey, how did you know that he sinned? And I, she said, Well, somebody told me that. And I said, Well, was that a child or an adult? And she said, No, it was an adult. And I said, well, how do you know he went to heaven? She said, well, because the person said so, Daddy. And I said, well, honey, so let me tell you, you know, what, what the Bible says. And it's, it's kind of difficult to understand. But the Bible says that you can't sin and go to heaven. It says that nothing unclean can ever enter into heaven. So if we claim to be a follower of Jesus and we continue to do bad things, drinking and taking drugs and, you know, hurting our family... We cannot expect to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. Even if you, quote, claim to know Jesus or you think you're a believer of Jesus, you can't go to heaven unless you are obeying the teachings of Jesus, which is evidence that His Spirit lives in your heart. And she was kind of confused and she kept asking questions about it. And But Daddy, what about this and that? And I said, well, honey, I'm going to, I'm going to, and I gave her the basics and I said, I'll explain it more when we get a chance to sit down. And then got Tyler on the phone, and Tyler was really kind of like, Dad, that doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> and, and I basically, what somehow or another, we got on the conversation about him, you know, being the pastor, and he, Tyler says, you know, Dad, how did he die? And I said, Son, he, he committed suicide. He goes, Really? He goes, How come they didn't say? I said, Yes, they, they probably smoothed over a lot of that because it's a public funeral, and you know, you try to honor the person and the family by not talking about all the dirt. I said, but Tyler, it is unfortunate. I said, this shows you how real the devil is. I said, here is a pastor. And I said, Tyler, he was a, a good-looking guy. He was clean-cut. He was he took care of himself. He, you know, um, came from a, a family of a long line of pastors. His dad is one of the larger pastors in the in the state. And he has a, a good, you know, Christian heritage, apparently, in his family. And he was a great communicator. He seemed like such a nice guy. And I said, and as you can see, he was living a life totally contradicting the life that he was saying he was living. And what he spoke did not line up with how he walked. And I told Tyler that this was called hypocrisy. And I made him say the word. And began to explain to him this is that... The idea that we cannot, you know, pretend to be Christians or even try to be Christians uh, or claim to be Christians and not live it. And I explained to him that he had been, you know, given to drunkenness and um, even some drug use and had been suicidal and apparently maybe even, if it's true, um, had abused his wife uh, some and domestic abuse charges had been filed. And I said, Tyler, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. And it doesn't matter if you were pastors. Oh, I remember it was Kaylee that was thinking that pastors get to go to heaven even if they sin. She's six, bless her heart. And so I had to explain to her that pastors are no different. In fact, they're even judged harder than those who aren't. So they have less um, leniency, if anything, than the regular body of Christ, the lay people. So then back to Tyler and... I said, yeah, they, they tell people that you go to heaven and stuff. And Tyler just cut me off. He says, Dad, he says, I don't see how that's possible. He said, I don't think you can just give up and, and go to heaven. Michael Commentary. This is a good place for me to mention the fact that many times people will send me uh, comments or emails wanting to debate with me about certain controversial doctrines, or shall we say easily dividing doctrines, doctrines that many men have divided over, doctrines of once saved, always saved, perfection, baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, uh, whether or not Christians are to keep the Ten Commandments, obedience, uh, grace versus law, so forth and so on. And many times I find in my comments, my reply to them would be that if you'll go back and you'll read the scriptures that I'm going to perhaps present to you now in this comment or the scriptures I just presented in the message that was in question, if you ask a child to tell you what they believe the meaning is of that basic teaching, they can tell you. The simplest truths of God can be understood by children. So here we see 
A child, my son, who is at the age of distinguishing between right and wrong, who has had the benefit of a father who's taught him scriptures and taught him about God for years, but not on that specific subject, able to reason that what he's read in the Bible and what he's hearing coming from these people does not match up. They are not reconcilable. And here is, again, out of the mouth of babes. Many, quote, doctors of doctrine would be very wise to set aside their brilliant intellect and their clever study skills and simply approach the scriptures as a child, humbly, without presuppositions, and literally just simple faith. It's Matthew eleven twenty five where Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things, deep things of Jesus, deep things of the new covenant, deep things of salvation from the wise and the learned. Now, these are the people that we would imagine with our own understanding would know everything. But Jesus says, God has hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, Jesus does not mean actual little children as in Tyler being a little child in this. He doesn't mean that. He means those who have humbled themselves as a child, Matthew 18, 3 through 4, and who have come without any presuppositions, not presupposing anything like, I understand God because this, or because this man taught me this, or because my experience has been this. But you go with a blank slate, a humble notepad, a humble mind, a humble disposition, and you say, God, teach me. These are the people that the Bible says God teaches the truths of God. And I think to myself, how many times people would be better off if they would simply approach the scriptures and let the scriptures say what they actually say to even a child rather than what we want them to say. End of commentary. And I said, Tyler, I said, you could only know that because the Spirit of Christ is in you. And I said, you're absolutely right. That is what the Bible says. It says that, you know, Matthew 24, 13. And I said, even though this is a very controversial subject and nobody wants to hear about that, you know, if somebody commits suicide, that according to the Bible, it's not very likely that they'll end up in heaven. Again, the exceptions could be if somebody had taken some sort of a medicine that caused them to, to do that, or there was maybe some mental, legitimate mental illness, not spiritual issues, but, and I'm sure there may be other things. Obviously, God is just. He gets to make a decision, but that according to the Bible, Matthew 24, 13, that many bad things are going to happen to you, Jesus warns to the disciples, but he who endures to the end shall be saved, not the person who quits or shrinks back. And when you kill yourself, you're, 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 that's the same thing in my mind, and I think in God's mind, as falling away from Jesus. Jesus says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on my account. You're falling away. You're quitting. It's the same thing as just walking away from your faith, killing yourself. You're saying, I want to no longer be here. I no longer want to be of use to God. I no longer am good for anything. And I own myself so I can take my own life into my hands and I choose to walk away. It's the same thing as just walking away from your faith. But it is like walking away from Jesus. And we see also in Revelation where Jesus multiplied times says, you know, to those who overcome, they will get a crown. And he says, you know, only hold on, hold on to what you have until I come so that no one will take it away from you. And then we also see another scripture in Corinthians where Paul's explaining that our bodies are the temple to the Holy Spirit. And he says, if anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy him. So if we, the Bible says we are not our own, with that we were bought with a price, a heavy price. So if a Christian who's been bought by the blood of Jesus destroys what Jesus Christ bought, the temple that houses him, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that that man will be destroyed, that God will destroy that man. So I basically shared all this with Tyler and he totally agreed and got it. And he says, yeah, Dad, he says, I just don't see how you can just quit like that. 
And I said, Tyler, you can't. The whole word is about persevere. Persevere. I mean, I think a suicide could even fall into the parable of the sower, where, you know, some seed falls along the path, and, and the birds, which is Satan, comes and picks it up, and then there's other seed that falls under, um, you know, short, or it falls under uh, shallow soil in the rocky area. It immediately springs up. But be when the sun comes, which stands for persecution and, and testing, it says that because it has no root, it doesn't last, and it, it dies. And so these three other seeds, the shallow soil next to the um, uh, the path where there's no soil, and then the weeds, all three of those don't make it. They're yanked out. So again, you know, the fourth seed is those who hear the word with a good heart. They hear the word, they retain the word, and they persevere and produce a crop. Jesus says, if you don't produce a crop, if you don't remain in Him, you get cut off. Jesus, the Bible also teaches that there's a sin that leads to death. And we don't know what that is, but the Bible does say that if your brother sins, pray for him that he might be restored. He goes, I do not mean to pray for those who've committed the sin that leads to death, for there is a sin that leads to death. So, there's so much scriptural evidence that you couldn't, you couldn't, I mean, only God knows, but I could never feel like I'm doing anything less than distorting the Word of God for the sake of trying to make a person feel comfortable by suggesting that a person who commits suicide can end up in heaven. In fact, I'll end this message with remembering little C.J. McGeehee, who, you know, was basically dying right in front of his, his brother, brothers and his mom and the angels had come into the room and he had been communicating with them and you know having conversation with them and his mom at the same time and he at the last few moments of him getting ready to die he was so adamant about asking his mom to make sure she would not kill herself he made her promise right in the presence of the angels he made her promise that when he left, he would not commit suicide. She would not commit suicide. He said, "Because mommy, I want you to be with me in heaven." He said this right in the presence of conversation with angels. You would think that if he had said something that was out of line, it might have been corrected. But again, I'm not suggesting that that's proof at all for this. But it certainly is in line with what I believe the Bible says. That if you take your own life and you know what you're doing, it's kind of it's the same thing as willfully walking away from the Lord. There is no difference. You're walking away. You're choosing to say, I'm out. I don't want it this anymore. And you're saying, you're, you, you not only want out on life, but you want out on Jesus. That's really what it says, that I can't take this anymore. And that's something that I disagree with on my pastor. My pastor doesn't believe that you can go to hell if you commit suicide. And I, I completely disagree. I, I believe that you absolutely can um, and it's all likely that you very, very much do. Again, God is the ultimate judge, but it's not something that I could ever take a chance on. I mean, I feel absolutely certain if I killed myself that I would go to hell. And if I feel that way, knowing what I know about the Word of God and having His presence in my life and, and the fruit, you know, it's not, again, just because I feel it doesn't mean it's true. But I think there's evidence in the Word. And not only that, other two things I can think of. There's only two people I can think of in the Bible that actually notable characters that killed themselves. Both of which had failed miserably in the eyes of God. And I think I would be in for the shock of my life if either of them made it into heaven. This first one was King Saul, where he had completely disobeyed God. Found himself on the edge of defeat and falls upon his own sword, killing himself. Because nobody else will kill him. Number two is Judas Iscariot, who um, betrayed the Son of God, and so can't live with himself. He commits suicide. I think to think that either of those people get to go to heaven is a, is a strange perversion of what I know to be God's justice. It's uh, 623 on December 17th, 2013. I've been prepping for the last two hours to uh, get ready to film. I've got everything set up and then I, I wonder if God must just have a sense of humor on this 
tonight I'm just so looking forward to filming. I can just feel my spirit becoming excited about teaching the Word of God. And Doris and Jerry, my friends, my parents' friends came over tonight. It's Jerry's birthday. And I overheard them just a few minutes ago. Unfortunately, they talk two rooms away, not knowing I can hear. And it was too late for me to tell them I could, you know, I could hear them. I don't like to listen into their conversation, but it's hard not to when they're sitting right here having a conversation about me. But they, um, you know, asked about the kids, and my mom lowered her voice and said, "Well, we don't, we don't know about that. He's, you know, he's kind of waiting to the last minute here, and he doesn't have the money and doesn't have his license." And she started telling the story, and well, you know, what do we got to do to help? You know, kind of thing. And and uh, I guess the question was was brought up, and so my mom's like, "Well, no, it's it's." It's one of those things where it's got to be a miracle. It can't be from anybody he knows, anybody, none of us. And essentially mocking what uh, God has asked me to obey. I mean, it wasn't terrible. It was not like, but, you know, it was mocking. Nonetheless, it's mocking. And it's, it's so interesting to me that it's the same exact people that said, I get the God thing. Now, this is a guy who just had cancer this year. And... He w- was was delivered from the cancer. I mean, he was healed, and and we prayed for him, and multiple people prayed. And he's, you know, I'm not saying they said anything, but these were the people that stood in my kitchen a year and a half ago and said, you know, we get the God thing, Michael, but you got to use your brain. He gave you a brain, and I said, guys, I don't know how, I don't know when, but my God will deliver me. And I told, I looked them all boldly in the eyes. And said, my God will deliver me. They all doubted. And they were all joking me about going to jail. And I heard Dora say, well, you know, he can do anything. He could do something tomorrow. Meaning God could provide. And I thought, thank God. There's somebody in this house I heard that just spoke a word of faith. Saying, well, God could send it tomorrow. Mom saying, you know, time's ticking. You know, it's at the end of the week. And, and he's got very little time left. And and she said, you know, Dora said, well, God could do something tomorrow. He can do anything. And of course, my mom didn't say much about that at all. And of course, I'm I'm thinking and hoping and believing the same thing. But maybe it is that God's not going to deliver me. Maybe God's will is that you have to stay sitting on the bench for a while and you're going to have to carry this cross you know, a little further, Michael, and you're getting ready to go through your biggest test ever, a lack of Christmas with your children. There's nothing more humiliating, more uh, hurtful to me or to the children than that. Um, But I I am believing that God is going to deliver me. I don't know how. I don't know when. And he hasn't told me that he would. He's just told me that he would deliver me. He didn't say, you know, with the kids or without. But within earshot, I'm getting ready to sit down and teach the Word of God and speak in faith. And I hear my faith being questioned and and kind of somewhat mocked uh, continually here. I'm sure my mom is going to now tell them tonight at dinner that they've discovered through Catherine that I actually have this mental illness called you know, cyclohypo something whatever. And um, I just wanted to capture all of this so that when God does deliver me, you know, I, I know there's got to be other people that go through this kind of stuff. There's got to be other people, men and women of God, who God is asking them to believe for the impossible and everybody around them thinks they're idiots. And uh, I, I know that God is using this to strengthen and I thank them, and I actually even prayed tonight, before they said that, I prayed that God would open their eyes, because when they come around, all they ever talk about is, you know, what the latest thing they bought for their house is, or what new home improvement project, or the new set of steak knives, or the next vacation that they're taking, or, you know, what they just did around their hedge bushes, or what kind of new shoes they just bought, It's and it's just, they just, that's all these people talk about, and I mean all four of my mom's friends there and they don't talk they don't have a passion for God and I don't see how you can get into heaven unless God is Jesus has got to be in first place he cannot be one of many Jesus Christ has got to be first it's gotten to this place where so many people think that they can be in the club and have a a membership card in their wallet that says, I get to go to heaven when I die, but yet they don't have this burning passion for God. They don't love Him and, uh, and adore Him. I'm obsessed with my God. I mean, there is there anything better on the earth, you know, to be obsessed with? No, I, the most beautiful woman. There is not anything in my life that I think I could be obsessed about more than, you know, uh, the opposite sex. Let's say that, 
you know, anytime you have a new relationship, it is full-on obsession. God has already shown me the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. I'm not saying that to be flattery. This is sincere. The most beautiful inside-and-out woman I have ever seen in my life. And she doesn't even come close to occupying the kind of thoughts in my spirit that Jesus Christ does. And that has got to be the way it is. I mean, I think about Laura every day, but I have to intentionally think about Laura. Sometimes she'll just come up in my head and I'll intentionally pray for her. I don't have to intentionally think about God. I mean, I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about my God. I go to bed thinking about my God. I wake up in the morning thinking about my God. I can't imagine having more than about a 10-minute window unless I'm totally focused on something that requires all of my brain resources. But I'm not obsessed with my God. And, and I don't want to just keep on going. I'm always motor-mouthing on this kind of stuff. I just It bothers me so much. And I pray for people to take God seriously. And here these you know, people are here tonight and not, just still not believing that God's going to deliver me. I've been under some pretty serious attack the last two nights in my dreams. <clears throat> uh, night before last. I just, it was basically a dream of, I was supposed to be leading a meeting and speaking. And I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to speak on. I had lost my notes and couldn't remember how to put together a good presentation and I was just all over the place and there was somebody in the room who was you know making um, comments about my personal situation and all that and it was just you know we were driving somewhere to try to go have a meeting and I couldn't find and remember how to get there I mean it was just all about being you know discombobulated um, unfocused unprepared um, and very vulnerable and why a lot of people were watching. And then last night I had a dream that had to do specifically with what was going on with me. <clears throat> you know, everybody thinking I'm uh, in the family, thinking i am got some real issues because of waiting for, a quote, a miracle to bail me out. And um, my Aunt Debbie was in the dream, and they were coming and talking to me while I was in the toilet and would, just came walking in and trying to talk sense into me, and she wouldn't leave me alone. And then there was somebody that had been in our house a friend or whatever and he found out and everybody was just starting to turn against me all because I was sitting around in such humble circumstances waiting for the Lord to deliver me and it was like you know you got to do something about this and putting all this pressure on me and you know just it was it was literally me against everyone everyone was against me you know just the jeering and the the mocking anyhow so I wake up this morning at 353 and that leads me to a passage in Isaiah 353 I think I haven't searched out all the scriptures yet but that was pretty uh, encouraging word in Isaiah 353 and on and then I uh, I woke up to get out of bed at 511 James 511 and I had just told the father yesterday in prayer I was like wow Lord I haven't seen 511 in a lot in a while Wondered if it was maybe because I hadn't needed to. About 10 minutes later, you know, yesterday was a rough day for me. About 10 minutes later, I'm walking down the street, and I just happened to glance at this can sitting sideways on the street, a garbage can, and my eyes go right to it, 5'11". And then I wake up this morning at 5'11", after I just told the Father, Wow, Lord, I haven't seen 5'11 in a while. And now here it is, all about persevering. I just keep telling myself, Persevere, Michael. Persevere, Michael. Today or tomorrow is D-Day. If God does not provide the finances today or tomorrow in a last-minute miracle, He certainly is absolutely capable, and I hope and pray that He does decide to do this. Then God can provide, and I can go pick up my children. I have an email from my ex-wife, you know, obviously with her own negative feelings mixed in but she's asking am I uh, coming to get the kids and what arrangements am I making and da 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 and I woke up this morning I'm like Lord I don't even know what to tell her what do I tell her do I tell her well I'm waiting on the Lord to provide at the last minute when she knows I haven't been able to pay the, I haven't paid the child support so it's a very humbling situation I, I really just don't even know what to do 
I don't know what to say. Um, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say anything, if I'm supposed to just wait, or if I'm supposed to say I'm planning on being there, just in faith I'm planning on being there on Saturday, you know, and, and just wait. There's still such a strong part of me that wants to just cave in and go, there's no way I can go without seeing my kids when somebody's willing to help me. Why would I do that? You know, and and yet I just absolutely sense that if I quit on the Lord, it's a strange place. I don't have anybody I can counsel with about this. You know, the Lord is just, except for Abraham, he's about the only one. And, um, but he just, God just keeps telling me, persevere, have faith. And um, the difference is this time is I don't know what I'm having faith in. I don't know if I'm having faith in God delivering me so I can have my kids this holiday, this Christmas, or if I'm having faith that he's going to do something awesome on the other side of it and that I just need to trust him through this and go through the season of disappointment. And that's probably the hardest new element for me to face is the uncertainty of what am I supposed to believe for, whereas God would say, you know, I'm going to deliver you in the court. Right now, I don't know what God's going to deliver me from and in. And uh, But I have faith in God. You know, my faith has not wavered. Have I had moments of doubt? Have I had concerns? Yes, but my faith doesn't doubt. My faith continues on. Um... So, I don't know, we'll see how it all goes. Michael Commentary. Some of these recordings are actually hard for me to listen to when I hear how much I'm suffering in my faith and I'm having to go back and really relive those moments of uncertainty and doubt and the fear and to remember the incredible pressure that was coming upon me to make a decision uh, to save myself, to lean on my own human understanding, and to do what all of those around me thought for sure made sense to do, even for a good Christian. And instead, to deny myself, to continue waiting, to continue to drive the stake, if you will, further and further into my own heart. There are so many principles going on here. I'm dying to self. You know, what you hear me doing in this, again, is taking up the cross. This is the cross life. If there is nothing for you to deny, you're not carrying the cross. If there's nothing for you to put to death in yourself, you're not denying yourself and taking up your cross, Matthew 16, 24. You're not following after Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And you see... What I'm doing in this season is constantly denying myself. And if you notice, God was not pleased just to allow me to uh, face the pressure from my own self, my own instincts, my own parenting desires, my own love as a father. God was not pleased to just let it be that it's a matter of my faith versus myself. It's my faith versus myself internal pressure, and I'm also facing all of this external pressure at the same time from a lot of other people who've sided with my flesh. They're the same natural people without the Spirit of God, living by mere natural instincts, and they're telling me, you need to make this happen. You need to do this. You need to deliver yourself. And so there's all this pressure. Now, what's also interesting about this is as you have heard me testify many times about the parental alienation, at this point in time, my ex-wife was still willing. This is what makes this even more painful to go back and listen to. Because my ex-wife was willing, as you can hear, as far as I know, she was willing to allow me to have the children for that Christmas. The parental alienation of where I couldn't see them uh, had started, like for a summer visit, I'd go down and uh, or go down and try to have them for Father's Day or to go go down and visit, and she would deny me here and there and just make it difficult. But I don't think she felt that she could deny, you know, my official holiday visitation with them yet. So here I am. She is still allowing me to see the children at this point. But God has put me in a position where if he does not deliver me in my finances, I'm not to save myself. And that means I'm going to not be able to see the children. And there's a lot more lessons to learn in future recordings from this. But this is where God is asking you to stick the knife to your own throat. It'd be one thing if my ex-wife already had put her foot down, already hardened her heart fully. She's going to. 
I'm going to miss seeing the children this Christmas, and I'm also going to miss seeing them, I don't remember the exact reasons why, coming up on the spring break, but these are instances where God is asking me to put the knife to my own throat. It's not, he's giving me more potential opportunity to save myself. If you notice, the temptation is much higher. You see, if you're in a situation where you cannot deliver yourself no matter what, like this other person has made a decision, they've hardened their heart or or whatever, or it's some legal thing you're facing and there is no way you can save yourself, that's one kind of faith, to be trusting God for a hopeful outcome. Here's a whole nother level of him testing my faith, of him telling me, although you could save yourself, although you could deliver yourself, I've led you into this desert place to test you and humble you, causing you to very much desire to be with your children to see if, in fact, you will obey me. God is testing me. Now, people have a very difficult time understanding, well, why can't you love God and your children? Why can't you love God and have a family? And, be, and all the good church folk around the world cannot possibly understand this kind of life, which is why they miss out on all the great stories and principles and teachings in the Bible, because this is what God has done for thousands of years to all of the very best. This is called putting nobody and no thing before Jesus Christ. This is taking up your cross and denying yourself. Are you willing to suffer the shame uh, of all those good folks around you that go to church and they read their Bibles and they're in their Bible studies and they do their little volunteering and all that kind of stuff? Are you willing to allow those people to look upon you as if you have got some kind of serious mental illness, that you are way off your rocker, that you have left the building? And are you willing to instead obey God no matter? You see this theme throughout my life and throughout these uh, uh, recordings over and over again. It's not about God blessing me. It's about God telling me, take up that cross. Deny yourself. You see, this is why the only thing Jesus ever said you have to do daily is to deny yourself and take up your cross. It is the only thing Jesus commanded, specifically saying, you must take up your cross daily. And that is that constant denial of self. That is what the taking up of the cross is. The taking up of the cross is one kind of suffering where you deny yourself. And sometimes an even higher or next level suffering is where you have to do the difficult will of God. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Following Jesus can be even more difficult than just the denial of yourself because where Jesus goes is to some pretty difficult, hurtful places. He does some pretty difficult things, things that other people do not do. So again, God is not punishing me. He's not trying to punish my children. What God sees is there's still an inordinate affection. It's good to love your children. It's good to have uh, fathers with their hearts turned to their children. But it is not good when it becomes like Abraham and it's inordinate and it's excessive and it's a perverted love and such, not a sexual perversion. It's perverted because it's gone outside the bounds of what God would call a healthy love of family that still allows the servant of the Lord to keep God first. And there was still a strong attachment and still strong identity uh, as me being a good father that God was going to have to kill me. See, I don't have this anymore. I have this today approval of God, whether I have any of my children or none. Tyler's sitting here. If he's gone tomorrow, he knows that I'm not going to miss a beat in my walk with God. See, only God could have done this. I don't love any of my children so much. They're my life. You will never, ever hear these words come out of Michael Criswell's mouth. My children are my life. No way. That is so unscriptural. That is horrible. That is sinful. You can never say as a God-fearing Christ follower, my children are my life. You see, that sounds so honorable to godless, heathen, or lukewarm uh, people that are playing Christianity. That sounds so godly. That is not sounding good to God at all. You want to evoke God's jealousy? You want to hear, like Paul says, are you trying to uh, provoke God's jealousy? Uh, those are not your children to begin with. You didn't create them, knit them together, put all their DNA and all of their personality traits and physical traits. You have nothing to do with that. You got to enjoy sex for about 15 minutes, and as a result of nothing you did, those children result. A gigantic, unbelievable miracle, creation. You didn't create them. God created them. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. 
And the Bible says not one person's ever been born that God does not own. Everything God owns. So I don't see my children as my children anymore. And why is that? God loosed them from the center of my heart. See, I cannot have the natural relation with my children that the world has. You know, when you look at these other countries and you see how important family is and you see how families stick together, they do everything together and nothing can violate the family. The family has become a God. That is not what Jesus Christ taught. You will never see anywhere Jesus tells you the most important thing is for you to love your mother and father, for you to love your brothers and sisters, you know, for your your flesh and blood, and for you to do whatever they say and never let the family be violated, never ever let the family be broken up, put the family ahead and first in everything. You'll not see this in any of the teachings of Christ. On the contrary, you see, do not suppose I came to bring peace in your family. I came to bring a sword. I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The members of his own household will be his enemies. He comes and says, you know, if anyone comes to me and does not hate mother or father, brother and sister, wife and children, yes, even his own life. You see, this is where I'm hating my life. This is practical, the teachings of Jesus Christ, what you're hearing. It's taking up the cross, denying myself, and hating my life. The guy in these recordings is unwilling to compromise. doesn't matter how adorable his five children are. I'm going to tell you the truth. I have never met anybody in my 46 years of life of on this planet. This is just my testimony. Maybe it's not yours. I've never met anybody in 46 years who had a more adorable wife given to them than me. There's nobody I've ever met that has a more durable wife than my wife, Persis. And yet God was going to have to work that affection out of me and get me to a place where I was willing to, quote, hate my wife in order to obey God. Not hating her physically, but making it look like for a time I hated her because I love God so much more and I'm willing to lose my wife. I'm willing to lose my children, and I will always be that way if I remain in the grace in God. This is, this is the life of being totally detached to nothing and no one except for Jesus Christ. And listen, Tyler is sitting right next to me right now hearing this recording. He's heard all this dozens and dozens of times, and he's not going, Oh, my daddy doesn't love me. He's smiling right now hearing me. My dad doesn't love me. He's going to throw me out. He knows that's not true. (laughs) He knows how much I love him. But this kid, as long as he's been able to understand, has heard his dad say, Son, I mean, as little, as early as nine and 10 years old, I was telling this young man and my other children, daddy loves God more than you. And that is so good. And that's how I'm going to be a blessing to you is because I love God more than I love you. It doesn't mean that I don't love you a lot. It doesn't mean that I don't want what's best for you. It doesn't mean I don't want to be in your life. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy you. But it means that when God asks me to do something that will potentially hurt you, I love him more than I do you. And I'm willing to let you suffer in order to obey God. Because in the end, it will go very well with you. And the best way for me to bless you is to be obedient as a son. The best way for me to be a good father is for me to be obedient to my father in heaven. That's what this is all about. And so... In my instance, for my circumstances, God was going to have to remove these children. So adorable. Okay, let me just say this. This is another truth I'm going to tell you. In 46 years, I have never personally met. Maybe you have. I have not. I have never met anybody that had more five adorable children than what I had. I've never heard of anybody having the experiences with my children that I had, where As a single parent father, everywhere I went, people called them my ducks because they would follow me. I didn't have to be that guy who was constantly, get over here, get over here, don't do that, don't touch that. They followed me like little ducks everywhere we went. You've heard me tell the stories of going into restaurants and people interrupting us in a pizza dinner in Cocoa Beach, Florida, and get up, Tyler shaking his head, and walk around and hand $5 bills to every single one of my kids and say, I've never seen children so behaved. Or right here in this town of Huntsville, Alabama, sitting in a restaurant where a manager who's been in this business for 40 years walk up and hand cookies to every one of my children saying, I've never, I've been in the restaurant business all these years. I've never seen kids behave this well. 
These children were well behaved. They were so adorable. It was almost impossible for me not to put them in the center of my heart. The truth is, my kids are just as adorable as my wife. God gave me a very adorable wife in Persis. He gave me very adorable children, and he was going to have to do some seriously costly moves to, to move that adorableness out of my heart so that I would obey him no matter what. You see, all these years later, God can trust me. He now knows he can give me the world's most adorable wife, and I will not disobey him for her. I will not loosen her suffering in an effort to disobey God or lessen her suffering, if you will. And the same thing with my children, that I will not love them in this natural, carnal way, this this way that all parents across the world love and want the best for their kids and they they want to die for their kids and do all these kind of things and so forth and so on. My kids are as close to me as they are as close to God. Uh, I have four children right now who are not in my life at all. They're not close to me at all and they may never be. They will be close to me in direct proportion to how close they get to God and uh, and how much of God's will it is for them to be close to me. And I've told Tyler the same thing. I don't want you to be my son. I want you to graduate from being my son. I want you to become my brother in Christ. You see, I have a brother named Jared who I'm closer with than anybody in my family. I'm, I was closer with him for a season and still in some ways am than even with my wife because he and I have this spiritual unity. We have the same father. We're walking in the same path. We're obeying the same principles and teachings of Jesus Christ. We're both taking up our cross and denying ourselves, And that creates a unity that is closer than any bond between husband and wife in the natural, between man and children in the natural, or between family members in the natural. The spiritual bond. And that can only happen if God is blessing each person as they take up their cross and deny themselves. End of commentary.